In your bulletin, you're going to find a bookmark we've placed there again. I'd like you to use it in another book besides your Bible. Pull it out, would you? And we're going to read from the backside this week from Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. So pull the bookmark out, or you can open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read it together out loud. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. If you're looking at my bookmark up front, it says Mind Matters. This one has Romans 12. Flip it over to the backside. It has South Potomac Church and the logo of the heart. Then the backside has Philippians 4. In our series called Mind Matters, today I wanted to talk about how you can have a wonderful, godly kind of mindset, different kind of mindset than the rest of the world. And these two verses, I think, are instrumental in getting us there. So would you read it out loud with me together? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. In God's creative handiwork, he gave to you a brain, a mind. It's a wonderful creation that he placed inside of you. The more we learn about what's happening inside of our heads, the more we realize in great awe what God has done in his creation. We have a wonderful capacity, but we don't fully understand what's happening inside of our heads. And yet we seem to know this, that the more we learn, the more incredibly great the brain is and the potential it has not only for good and for evil, but also for evil. So what God has given to us is a wonderful trust. It is a huge responsibility. And so we want to have the right kind of mindset. So how do we handle life with the right kind of mindset? Take note of this. Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this day. I can't do any day. I can't make a struggling friend feel better. I can't successfully battle temptation. I can't guard my tongue. I can't solve a single problem. I cannot love as you love. I cannot be effective. I cannot communicate well. I cannot. So I have two choices. Choice one, I can crawl back in bed and throw the covers up over my head. Literally or metaphorically. Literally sounds great, but it's not an option. But metaphorically, I can. I can pull up the blankets and pretend like everything's okay. I do have it in me. I can say encouraging things to myself, give myself a pep talk. I can envision doing everything that needs to be done. I can even choose to avoid the painful things, pretending I do not see them, I do not hear them, do not know they exist. Or worse yet, I can acknowledge them and then shut down with a selfish, not my problem, blankets over the head, snuggled down. Choice two. I can believe you. I can believe what you say in your word. That, that I can do all things through you that I can live and move and have my being in you, that you have a plan and a purpose for me and will direct my steps when I trust you, 
that I have already been given everything I need for life and godliness. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead works in me. That my days were numbered before they ever came to be. And that in you, I need to make every moment count because the days are evil. Because you have, you have already armed me for battle, giving me the armor and the weapons I need to be an effective soldier. That you are still the God of miracles, still the God who multiplies small things into big ones, still the God who breathes life into dead things. And best of all, I can believe this, that as long as I stay close to you, keep short accounts, keep my eyes fixed on you, keep your word in front of me, and talk to you throughout the day, then you will do the work that needs to be done. <sighs> because the truth is, I can't do this. I am weak, flawed, a sinner. And I don't see the whole picture. I don't have the information or the resources in myself to do life well. <sighs> but since when do people expect the pot to cook for them? And where does it make sense that the pipe creates the water that flows through it? And who in their right mind is more excited about the container holding the treasure than the treasure that's in it? Because you are the master chef creating a gourmet meal. I am the pot you use to create the masterpiece. You are the living water chasing away drought, washing away dirt, quenching thirst. I am the pipe the water flows through. You are the infinite treasure, the invaluable gift. I am the box you use to hold the gift open for others to see. So the pressure is off. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to be the glue. I don't have to be strong. I do have to be willing. I have to choose to obey. And that's all that falls on me because you will give me the words to say when I need to say them. And you will direct my paths so I'm in the right place at the right time. And you'll give me the strength to do everything on my to-do list. And you'll even remind me of what has to be on it. And you'll bring to mind those I need to pray for, and you'll fill in the blanks as I pray. And you will supply everything I need for today, financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, you will be my source. And since it's you and not me that gets it done, you will get all the glory you deserve. And you will do incredible things because of me, in spite of me. <laughs> Peter says it like this. This is 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 in the Amplified Bible. Therefore, humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God, set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him because he cares for you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Phew, that's a relief. I can't do this, but you can, so let's roll. Can I identify with your words, could you not? Yes. 
way too well. So let's just close in prayer. <laughs> just go home. Yeah. How do you handle those kind of thoughts? How do you get the right kind of mindset? How do you select the thoughts and select what you're going to think, what you're not going to think about? I'm calling this segment of the message Biblical Replacement Therapy. In other words, you're going to have to identify the wrong thoughts, the toxic stuff about your life. Get rid of that and then replace it. As soon as you get rid of it, replace it with a wholesome thought. That's replacement therapy. And you don't realize it's happening all the time. It happens in the medical world, education world, all the time. I'm asking you to do it in the transformational world of your own heart. Identify and eliminate the bad. Call it what it is. Call it toxic. Call it sinful. It will consume your energy. It will drain your joy. And you know it. You know it. You ever done something wrong, confessed it to God, then felt guilty the rest of the day for it? And that guilt, you say, that's a price I didn't mean to pay. I don't have time and energy for that. Then get rid of it now. And then as soon as you get rid of it, be honest as you can be, then replace it with a wholesome thought, something productive. Let me illustrate this for you from Ephesians 4, and then we're going to go to Philippians 4. And I want to, if you have a Bible, go to Philippians 4, but let me just read from Ephesians 4 for a moment. This is that take off, the take off put on, put, put off, put on kind of concept from Philippians 4, verse 20. That, however, is not the life you've learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self. Get that? Take off that old thought, that old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires. Be put in the new attitude of your minds and put on the new self. Get that? So you're taking off the old self, putting on the new self. It's like a set of clothes. Created in God in true righteousness and holiness. Keywords, put off, put on. Get to the truth that's found in Jesus. And when you do that, get rid of the, the, the deceitfulness that will kill the joy of your life and put on the new attitude. You have to choose to do that. He says it again, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak the truth to your neighbor. So you're putting off falsehood, putting on truth. For all members of one body. Do not, in your anger, sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Get this? Stop stealing and start working. But he must work doing something useful with his own hands. That there may be something that he can share with those in need. So you put off falsehood, you put on truth. You put, you put off uh, this laziness, non-work ethic to, to pick up the good work ethic. It's just change your thinking. Again, Verse 29, still Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let unwholesome talk come from out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, building others up according to their needs. Would, would that be appropriate verses to send to political campaigns right now? Can I get an amen, huh? Oh my gosh. People say that the word of God is dusty, dry, and irrelevant. Well, read that in light of what we've seen in the news this week. Unwholesome talk out of your mouth, only what is helpful to building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, among every form of malice. Get rid of it. Why? It's toxic to your life. See, put that off. And then what? Put on what? Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Because God forgave you in Jesus Christ. We talked about this... uh, a few weeks ago, your life, your, your brain, your head, your mind, is like your kitchen table at home. You know what your kitchen table is at home, right? It's not a place you eat. It's a place you set stuff down. Right? Oh, yeah. Yes. What are door hangers for? 
hanging clothes on. They're not for actually turning, no. Yeah, yeah. A kitchen table is a horizontal surface. Since it's a horizontal surface, it just gathers stuff, stuff you've never, you, you, you don't know when it landed there, but once it gets piled on, it just keeps piling, right? It just keeps piling. Then you have to sort it out. You have to call people in, and every, the whole family has to gather around. Everybody take your own stuff. Then you find, this is a sweater from a kid down the street. He left it at the bus stop. Well, why do we have to keep it? Well, I didn't want to return it till we washed it, you know, and made it nice and clean. Yes, okay, let's get it out of here. Because you have things that don't even belong to you on that kitchen table. And, and when you declutter it, you find out the clutter goes even deeper than you thought. I made the mistake... Um, uh, a few years ago of trying to eat healthy. Anybody else had this? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I still work at it. I still, you ever ordered a salad? You know, you're out and you're out, okay, I'll order a salad. And you eat a, a salad, which by the way, there's no entertainment. There's no flaming. I've never gotten a flaming salad. It never, they never give salad on big skewers. No one goes by and goes, oh, I want one of those. Yeah, yeah, no, no one ever does that. It's a chef salad. Yeah. So, have you ever done this before? You're just eating and you're just forking it. You're just eating and eating and eating. And 30 minutes later, you think there's more salad there than when you started. Anybody else had this? It, it's like it's growing, it's growing more roots from the bottom. And I, I can't keep up. You just keep eating salad. And the more you unpack it, the more salad there is. And you finally just give up and say, do you have a to-go box? Not that I'm going to eat this. I'm just, I just want you to think that I'm committed to being healthy. And... The reason that that happens is because they pack the salad in. And as you begin to unpack it, you realize it is really packed full. That same thing is true with the clutter of your kitchen. The more you unclutter that, that kitchen table, the more you realize there's more stuff there. As you uncover layers, you see there's more. That same thing is true with your mind. When you pull some stuff off, you'll find other things hiding under there. Stuff you, don't even, you didn't even know was there. You'll have emotional triggers and responses, and we do have them. You have them all there, and my word to you is this. Clean that table well, and then once you clean it, then replace it with really good stuff, because if you don't, the toxic will come back in on that clean space. So the replacement therapy is very simple. Identify and eliminate all the bad stuff. Replace it with something very, very productive. And you have to choose what's going to go through the driver of your mind because that's going to affect the way you feel about life and the way you treat people. And that's going to, that's going to affect the way you act. And the way you act is the way your destiny is going to live itself out. That's the way you will be remembered. That's why this is so very, very important. So you're saying, Dave, I don't know what the, I don't know what the mindset pieces ought to be. Well, Philippians 4 will give to us the mindset, the things we're to think about. I'm, I'm going to give you three real simple pieces. It begins like this. Feed yourself the healthy stuff. Feed your mind the positive things. And then as you do that, get some really good role models. And what you're going to find is this. You will know the peace of God like never before. That one is not something you even have to do. It'll just kind of happen. It'll just emerge. If you'll feed yourself the positive thoughts and you'll set yourself some really good role models. Number one, feed your mind the positive thoughts. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is, pra- is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Let this ponder in you. You pursue it. I- I'd encourage you to take one of these a day and just pursue one of them a day. Put it into your conversations. Use it in your writing. 
when you communicate with people, find it in other people, uh, cheerlead it in other people. When you find someone who's acting nobly, when you act someone who's doing the right thing or is pure in their heart, is lovely in their actions, cheer that on, champion that. Let's go through them, whatever is, first of all, true. Don't, it, here's the important thing, you have to be really honest with yourself, is what I'm thinking, is it true? Don't believe everything you read, amen? Don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you think. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true, right? Some of you aren't sure about that, but it's true. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. It's just an allusion to what you think to be true. Ask yourself, is this absolutely true? And is it, number two, is it noble? Whatever is noble, is this worth even thinking about? Is it even worth thinking about? There is so much trash out today that's not even worth our consideration. It's not even worth us pondering for the moment. Don't believe everything you think, but then ask yourself, the things that are worth thinking about, does this bring about a better life? Or is it just chit-chat? Is it just gossip? Is it just rumor? It's just, it's just stuffing in life. It really has no purpose to life at all. Does it bring out virtue or is it, does it promote justice? Is it, is it noble? Do you get that? Is this a noble thought? Thirdly, is it right? If you, if you were to think the thought, if you were to act on that thought, is this the right thought? In other words, when you arrive in heaven, do you want that thought which becomes an attitude, which becomes a part of your heart, which becomes a part of your action, do you want to hold that up before God and say, here it is, God. And he'll go, what are you doing with that? That isn't even right. He'll go, well, um, I thought it was a good idea. My friend said it was. I mean, they're, they're not in judgment before God. Like, you're, it's just you. Unless all of you die on the same day. You know, think about that. It's, you can't blame your friends. You know what we do in America now? We don't ask the question, is it right? We ask the, this different question, is it legal? So then we ask, is it legal? Well, it's okay to do now, because it's legal. Yeah, so, but, but God in heaven isn't going to ask, is it legal? Everything you do is legal? Because you could say, well, I, did the, I know I did the wrong thing, but in my country, it was legal. And you know what God will say? Uh, what country did you come from? And when did that country usurp my righteous rule? See? I, there, I have funny moments in my head all the time, but this is one of them. <laughs> Just imagine, you meet God in heaven and you say, oh, it was legal. And, you go, and he says, what country are you from? And you say, America. And, and he goes, oh yeah, I remember that country. It was a good couple hundred years, wasn't it? Did you ever read up much on Babylon? It was a way better uh, empire. Rome was okay, but you know, Babylonian, I mean, they, they were great. And you know, the Persians, uh, you want an empire. You were born the wrong time, buddy. Okay, you know, where were you? Oh, America, yeah. You're the people with the eagles, yeah? Okay, yeah, okay. Now, they said it was legal? So how is that all of a sudden right? Yeah, just because they told you it was right didn't mean it was right. Get your righteousness not from the country, but from God. See, go back to the base of righteousness and truth. Okay, so don't ask yourself any other question that could cloud the righteousness question. Do I want to stand before God or do I want to scoot around this issue 
Or do I just want to be right? Because here's what happens. I'm going to scoot ahead on the message. When you're right, God has a way of creating peace in your life. There's a restedness to it. Now, akin to righteousness is the next one, whatever is pure. So not only is it right, but it's pure. In other words, it's reputable. It doesn't have any pollutants to it. So ask yourself the thought, this thought that I have, not only is it right, but is it pure? Is it 100% pure, or am I thinking the right thought, but it's, it's polluted somehow? How could I clean that kind of attitude up? And then, of course, you could be right and pure, and that would be gruff if you weren't lovely. So ask yourself, is the thought I'm thinking, is it lovely? Does it bring out the beauty of God's creative handiwork? Is there beauty in my day? Can I breathe in, and when I breathe out, is there something beautiful about the day? I walked by um, an office one day that was a group of people having lunch, and it it was a beautiful moment because one of them... I just, I walked by to hear, as I was walking actually in the door, and they were, and one of the, there's a woman at the table, they were eating lunch, I think it was salad, as a matter of fact. (laughs) They were eating lunch, and they asked the question, so tell me something happy at your home this week. Tell me the good news on your block. And you know what that woman was doing? She was saying, there's an alley we could go down, but we're not going there. We're going down Happy Avenue today because we're going to tell good news. And if you decide to go down the other alley, I'm going to direct it back to good news because we're going to talk good news for a while. Ask yourself, not only is this true, noble, and right, not only is it pure, but is it lovely? Is it beautiful? Because if it's beautiful, there's a chance it could be admirable. Whatever is admirable. Is it really gracious? Am I looking for the absolute best in people or am I expecting the worst? You know, this is one of the many reasons I'm not in evening broadcast news. I could read the teleprompter. I probably just wouldn't read what was there because the evening news is just, sorry, but it's just gosh awful. If you're an evening news producer, I'm sorry you had to hear that, but number two, shame on you. (laughs) Find something better to say. Do not give airtime to every weird person out there. If I were doing evening news and they haven't asked, I'm waiting for the call, they haven't called, it'd be about 28 minutes of this kid helped a little old lady across the street, and we applaud that. And here's a guy who gets off work early so he can mentor students. And here's an elderly guy, and he's helping middle-aged people figure out their finances. And here's a disabled guy who's actually bringing joy to people who have high intellectual capacity but don't know how to socially get along, and he's showing them how to hook, get through the ropes in life. And I would give one success story after another. I'd have a creative moment and a surprise moment and a hallelujah moment. And then at the very end, I'd say, in the last two minutes, there's a lot of bad stuff out there, people. It's really weird. So be safe. All right. <laughs> See you next time. That'd be my evening news right there. You know? Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. Okay. I've got a theme song for the evening news. See, is it admirable? Is it lovely? Because if it isn't, why the heck, sorry if that bothers you, 
But why the heck are we thinking about it? Why are we considering this? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? I think one of the things you have to do is you have to find it. What's praiseworthy? We do this as a staff every Tuesday. They know when we sit down, we're going to pray for a while, but I'm going to ask, what are the wins? Where do we charge towards heaven? Where do we help somebody? And it could be a large deal. It could be a small deal. It could be conversion of one little soul. It could be a family. It could be a major momentous thing. It could be really tiny. So it doesn't really matter. We're going to celebrate every win. That's all we talk about, usually the first 10, 15 minutes of staff time together. Because it, it is important that, that if we tell those stories, we will prompt more stories like that. Do you get this? Because you will, you will tend to build the appetite for it. That becomes the conversation. Because it is excellent. You'll think of more praiseworthy things. And you'll see just how good God really is and where he is working in the lives of people. And if you don't do that, you will tend to move backwards and your kitchen table will get cluttered, unfortunately. That's why he says, the end of the passage, you have to think about such things. You have to put your head into the game. You have to fill the space with productive thoughts. That's why sometimes, for me, I have to say, okay, Dave, I, I, you take a break from that. You just stop thinking about that. And I may have to change a channel in my head. I may have to listen to different music, go do something different, go for a walk. I have to air out. I have to do something physically different. And, and then engage a conversation in a different way because I have to change the channel so I get to a better place. Because if we stay on this, it's not going to go well. When we deliberately move our thinking, this is what I have to do, then I distract myself off of the other thinking, and you know what happens? Inevitably, the peace of God begins to invade. It just happens. It just happens. You don't have to work at it. So number one, think the positive thoughts. Number two, focus on the uplifting models. Verse nine, would you look at me, with me there? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. Put it into practice, because we need heroes. We need role models. The Apostle Paul was the role model for the city of Philippi. So you need role models for this town, for this county, because we learn lessons not just from a book, which is good, but you learn lessons by seeing it. That's why it's so important, I think, in an educational setting that you not only learn math with a book, but that you learn math by doing it. But if you can go to an auto body shop after learning a little bit of math, you'll really learn math if you're using it there. If you use it in a flat pattern design or a cooking lab, you'll really learn it there. You'll learn it in a shop class. You'll learn it when you put it into motion and you know it's true because when you see it and you say, I could do that, because probably most of us in the room have made a recipe we saw on TV. We saw them on the early morning news show, and in five minutes they made this phenomenal dinner. You go, I could do that now that I've seen it. If you just read it in a book, you would have never done it. Most of us that know how to change oil in a car, you didn't learn that by reading a book about it. You learned it by reading maybe a little bit, but maybe not at all. But someone went out to the car, showed you how to pop the hood. That's the gas tank. This is the hood. That's the gas tank. This is the hood. This is where the oil goes. Take the plug out. You drain it. They show you how to drain it. Make sure you put that plug back in before you start pouring oil. How do you know that, Uncle Dave? Trust me, I know about this. 
This could be a very expensive oil change if we don't get that plug back in. And you snug up that oil filter, but you don't want to over-tighten it, right? Get, see how that feels? Yeah. And then inevitably, you know, a teenager, a college student gets their first car, and dad crawls under the car with him or mom, shows them how to do it. Inevitably, a kid does this, and it, you know, they've got, like, oil, grit. But we don't say anything. We just let it go. We just wait for, like, half a day, you know. And then, oh, by the way, before you go into public, you need to check that. That's how you learn how to change oil in a car. Not by reading a book, but by crawling under the car and doing it. See, when someone models it for you, then it seems to really work well. Cedarville University was just here a week ago, and uh, Greg Dyson was here. Greg's a friend of mine, and uh, great, just a good friend, good brother in the Lord. He told me a story that I knew to bits of it to be true, but I didn't have the whole story till last week. And this is one of my, this is one of those hero kind of stories. Greg tells this story about the history of Cedarville University, and I knew the history. It was, there was a small religious uh, college in Cedarville, not far from Dayton, Ohio, and it was struggling. It couldn't sur- support itself after World War II. There was a, another religious college in Cleveland that was bursting. They didn't have room. They had so many students. They decided to merge the schools, but when they did, they said, we want a new president because both presidents of the schools were leaving, and so they called a pastor who had been on the board of one of the schools to become the new president of what would become called Cedarville College. It would be a Christian college. You could get Bible, but you could learn English and elementary education, sports management. You could learn lots of things there, but it would have a Bible base to it. It would be a good school. It was the 1950s when this happened. The guy they called there to be the president of the college was a guy by the name of James Jeremiah. Now, you, you wouldn't know that name, but you might know the name David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah is a radio personality. He's a radio Bible teacher from San Diego. He's a great Bible teacher. It was his dad. So David Jeremiah grew up in Cedarville, Ohio. James Jeremiah, his dad, was the president. It's the early 1950s, and it was not for any, no apparent reason, but it was an all-white school, just all-white kids, until, until James Parker showed up one day. James Parker was a black kid who wanted to go to college, get a little Bible, and get some education. So he enrolled in the school. No problem, until he showed up on campus. <laughs> then he showed up, and guess what, what, what do we have here? Well, he said, I just enrolled for school. I'm going to go to school like you. Yeah, we don't think so. So there was a movement among the students to oust this young college student. He hadn't done anything wrong. The school had just started, just getting going. James Parker doesn't know what to do because he, you know, he just—he didn't know there was a rule. There was, there, there isn't that he knows of, but he, he doesn't want to be a problem. And furthermore, he thinks the Lord's leading him into ministry. He thinks he liked a pastor. So there was a little scuttlebutt, a little movement to oust this kid. In fact, a petition. The rumor was out that a petition had started. So Dr. Jeremiah at the next chapel just stood up and said, "Oh, by the way, students, before you go, you need to know." Um, we have James Parker here as a student, and I know some of you don't like that, and that's too bad, because he's not leaving. <laughs> and then he stopped. Now, that t- that's bold, right? That's bold. That would be enough. He went even bolder, though. He said, and furthermore, if, if you want to leave because James Parker is staying, that's okay with me. In other words, you can leave if you want to. 
But here's the third part of what he said. But if you leave, don't ever plan on coming back here again as a student. In other words, we mean business. So you need to get happy or you need to get out of here. Well, that kind of quelled the petition march. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Here's what happened, though. James Parker couldn't help himself. He's just a people kind of a guy, people person. He's in his dorm. Some guys stop by, get to know him. They really like him. By semester break, he is really popular. By the end of the year, he has to shoo people out of his room so he can sleep at night because he's the most popular kid on the campus because everybody loves James Parker. Okay? Now, he's got some wonderful people skills. He'll grow up and become a pastor. Actually, he's a retired pastor in Syracuse, New York now. But what I get out of that, it's not, not a hero. I got two out of that story. One is one guy who did what was right and what was noble, right, and admirable, right? And that was Dr. James Jeremiah. He did the right thing in the face of opposition of the student body and maybe even the board. And then James Parker returned the favor by being lovely and admirable and praiseworthy and being a great student and a great friend. Those are the kind of stories we need to be telling. Amen? Because you can get sour stuff all day. You can get bad news all day. But you have to choose. I'm going to think of the right stuff, the stuff that's right and true and pure and, and holy, but also lovely and admirable. And then I need some heroes, and that's one of them. Whatever you have learned, whatever you received, you heard from me or seen in me. So you ask yourself this, is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking, is it what I want produced and reproduced in the lives of the people around me? If not, then I need to make an attitude adjustment right here, right now, because this is going to be reproduced into other people. So I'd encourage you, catch someone doing something right and applaud them. Catch someone with a great attitude, cheer them on. Catch someone with just the right, right um, attitude about something and, and, and tell them how admirable that is, how praiseworthy that is. You become the one who creates the next batch of heroes. So we're thinking the right thoughts. We have the heroes. And the third thing that's going to happen is you're just going to find the peace of God coming out, bubbling up all over your life because the peace of God will be with you, the end of verse 9. When you're doing the right thing for the right reason, peace just ends up being the natural byproduct. You can trust God even on bad days, but, but you know too, you know that, that even in the worst days, the peace of God's there because you're doing the right thing for the right reason. I borrow my words from Charles Swindoll in his book, Laugh Again, a book on Philippians, great book, by the way. This is the crowning achievement of recovering from anxiety addiction, he writes. Instead of living, uh, living in, the fear, in the grip of fear, held captive by the chains of tension and dread, when release, we release our preoccupation with worry, we find God, uh, God's hand at work in our behalf. He is our God of peace, our aid. He is changing people, relieving tension, altering difficult circumstances. He is our God of peace. So, feed your mind the, the positive thoughts. Get some uplifting models in your life. 
Look for them and then become one. And then thirdly, find the peace that we find in every circumstance. Find it in every single circumstance. Every week, uh, we say goodbye to some great people and some, uh, some great role models. Every week, we could stand up and just list the people that have passed on and uh, some heroes. This week, uh, Wanda and I, just it was a sad moment um, t- to uh, realize we, we read the news and we lost a, a hero of ours who's helped us from a distance um, quite a little bit. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Dr. Gary Smalley. He went home to heaven this week, passed away. Had uh, kidney issues, which then affected the heart, and heart shut down. His family knew it. They had time to say goodbye. But Dr. Gary Smalley, a name you might know for books, um, like uh, The Blessing and uh, Loving Relationships, he wrote 60 books in his lifetime. But if you didn't know him from books, you might know him because he showed up on Oprah's show, um, like Good Morning America Today show. He was on those early morning shows. He was a regular on the Focus on the Family Radio. Just people just knew him from conference work. He did marriages and repaired stuff. He was just a wonderful scientist in in the psychological world who was committed to Christ and um, a wonderful guy. One of the things I loved about Dr. Smalley was that he could take um, the research from the Kinsey Research Institute in, uh, at Indiana University, its research on uh, man and woman relationships and sexuality in particular, Gottman's research on, on uh, human relationships, and he could merge those, and it was tons and tons, thousands of pieces of data, and he could boil that down, and he could help you with your marriage with like three things. You work on these three things. He'd say, all the research says this, and then he'd say, these five things, do this, and then do this with your kids, and then make sure you're together as a couple. You know, he had these real simple things, but he, he was just so good at that. But if you got in behind it, you realize there was a ton of work and a, a phenomenal amount of education and understanding behind the words he was giving to you. What's not known as much about Dr. Gary Smalley is that the guy is just... Um, He's just hilarious, a guy to be around. He's just a phenomenally, wonderfully warm person because you see him as a professor or an author. Wanda and I had the opportunity to see him live a few times. He would actually run pastor's couples retreats, get this, in Branson, Missouri. And uh, there'd be a couple thousand pastors and spouses there. And he would do what we call large group therapy in one of those theaters in Branson. It was wonderful. And, uh, but he, he told a story after giving huge amounts of research, after, te- after giving all this insight about congregational health and life and marriages and what to do with troubled children and aging parents and single moms and all these things, all this research stuff. When he got all done, he said, oh, by the way, I need to tell you something. And then he begins to tell this story. Uh, he said, well, Norma and I, uh, we just built a new house. Okay. And this new house, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's a great house. I mean, when you walk in, there's a great set of stairs, but there's this great open foyer area. I mean, it's just huge, a lot of airspace. It's really nice. And then Gary says, and then the other day, I went into one of those sporting goods stores. I, I don't know if it was a Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's. You know, it was one of those kind of places, huge. He said, I walked in, and there it was. There was a moose head right there, and it was 80% off. And I knew Norma's going to love this. She's gonna, she is going to love this. The house is just being finished. 
They're just putting the paint on it. And now, so he buys the moose head at the sporting goods store. And the thing is just, you know, it's huge. Now, there are a thousand men in this room and 998 of them are going, this is not going to end well. <laughs> and then there's these two other guys and they're like, okay, first go to a sporting goods store. And they're like going, this is what Dr. Smalley does, it's what I'm going to do. They're, they just don't have a clue that this is going south. So somehow he drags this thing home, and Norma is gone, and this is what he wanted. He wanted it delivered while she was gone so he could get it into this foyer so he could get it up on the wall so then he could surprise her when she got home. Is this a good idea or what? I will pick the or what, okay? So he mounts this moose head up, and he had to have a team of people there to do this thing. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. Gets this thing hung, he, and then he, Norma comes home, he runs into the driveway, he says, Norma, Norma, you're going to love us. I, I got a surprise for you. You know, and this is one of those like HGTV movie, you know, this is the final minutes of the show. And it's like, we love it, we hate it, you know. She walks in the front door and screams. It does not go well. And, and he's like stunned, like, what, what's not to like about this? I mean, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. And she was like, not so much. He said, we had a little discussion about this. And then I took it down. And I, I don't know if he's still, you know, up to the day he died. I don't know if he's still trying to figure out where to put it. Because what do you do with a moose head? You, you put it on eBay? I, I don't know what you do. Because he couldn't get rid of it. He couldn't sell it back to the store because all sales are final. Of course, it's a moose head. You're not, they're not taking it back. So he gets stuck with the moose head. He has to take it down. He said, after our discussion, he said we decided we would compromise on decorating the house. And here's the marriage therapist. He said, we had a discussion. We're going to decorate the house together. I get to decorate my office, which is in the corner in the basement, and Norma gets the rest of the house. <laughs> and you know what he did in that moment? He told 2,000 people, not even the marriage therapist gets it right all the time. You know? What a hero. I mean, he taught me, just keep doing what you know to be right. Keep a good framework of mind about this thing. Have the heroes. And he's, for me, was one of those heroes. I've read all of his, not all 60 of his books, but I've read a bunch of his books. But even he would admit, I don't always get it right. But you know what? We don't quit. We don't give up. We go back and say, okay, what did I do wrong? And you know, it's the amazing thing about Smalley, and his kids would say this about him, is that when he would blow it in times like that, because he had a hundred of those stories. He just had a bunch of those stories. Whenever he got it wrong, he'd apologize. He'd make it right, and then he'd just move on. The guy was just, he had the, this incredible capacity to just move forward and not to give up and not to quit. And because of that, he becomes, for me, one of those great heroes. And so my word to you is this. Number one, feed your mind the right positive thoughts. Ask yourself, is this a thought worth thinking? Is it right? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it virtuous? Is it lovely? 
Is it praiseworthy? If it's not, what in the world am I doing thinking it? Number two, find some heroes. Find some people I could say, yeah, I could think like that. that. That's what they would do. And then when I blow it, that's okay. Because I know with my best intentions, I won't always get it right. But I do know this. I will enjoy the peace of God in every circumstance. He promises that. And I know by experience, he delivers. So our Father in heaven, thank you for this encounter with your word. Because we desperately need the mindset of a risen Savior who's triumphed over the grave, who give to us, gives to us not only forgiveness, but he gives to us hope. I thank you, thank you, thank you for Christ our Savior who doesn't quit on us. May you work in our minds and in our hearts to bring them to conformity with Jesus Christ. May when people see us, may they see bits of Christ in us. Even as we live our lives, as we do our business as we operate as a family, as we have our leisure time and recreation. Whatever it would be, Lord, may, may people see in us a new kind of mindset, a new frame of mind, because Christ is in us as the hope of glory. We pray this in the name of our risen Savior. The church says, amen. amen.